This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Rich Fulop explained his testing framework he used to build a $10 million business. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that started by selling digital products and then transitioned into physical products. In this episode, you'll learn why you might want to start with a physical product instead of a digital product for your first business, how this entrepreneur was able to start a business simply through hashtags on Instagram, and how to connect with influencers and get them to work with you to cross-promote your products. Today, I'm joined by Assy Drummonds from abspancakes.com. That's A-B-S-P-A-N-C-A-K-E-S.com. Abs Pancakes sells protein pancakes with 26 grams of protein, eight net carbs, gluten-free, and all under 200 calories for four pancakes. It was started in 2014 and based out of Tampa, Florida. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Excited to have you on too. So tell us a little more about your story and what are these pancakes? Like how did you how did you come up with them? Like what kind of, I guess, just tell, tell us a story about how you got started. Okay. Um, that's always an interesting story because everybody always asks, did you always know that you wanted to do a pancake business? Yeah. The answer is no. Um, the last 10 years or so, I've been in the fitness industry. I worked as a personal trainer. I went through all the processes of working for gyms and then having independent clients and just figuring it out, kind of just figuring out how I wanted to have a business and being self-employed. And about five years into that, I was introduced to somebody named Craig Ballantyne, who is like a genius when it comes to digital products for the fitness industry. And he started talking about the idea of being an online personal trainer, which made no sense to me. I didn't understand it. However, the one point of no longer trading time for money really hit home with me. And so I kind of just back in 2012, just kind of dove right in and read every book, every article I could possibly find. And I tried out the digital space and I didn't love it. Like I felt like I was missing the connection. I felt like sales were going out and I didn't even know who was buying stuff. And so there was a point, kind of a turning point where I wanted to get out of personal training, but I still loved helping people with their nutrition, with their fitness and doing something positive. And ironically, so every day I was making a protein pancake that I ate for myself, like literally it was a homemade recipe. I was trying to figure out something that was gluten-free. I was, at the time, I was sticking to a low-carb diet that was very high protein with um, natural fats. And so I was making it and really soul-searching, like what is my big idea? What is this thing that I'm going to do that's going to make a difference but also give me control of my time and make the money that I want to make? And I woke up one morning and was making my recipe and literally was just like, oh my gosh, like I wonder if I put this and packaged it, would anybody buy it? Or am I the only crazy person who eats protein pancakes? Um, 
So I started just telling personal training clients about it that I had at the time because one of the biggest struggles people have is when they go on a low-carb diet or a gluten-free diet, the first thing that goes is anything that even tastes like bread or dough or carbs. It's usually egg whites and vegetables and a lot of food that's very bland for people. So my clients were asking me, hey, what do you eat for breakfast? Like, I can't do any more shakes or any more egg whites. And I just casually was like, hey, I'll make this up for you and give it to you. You can try it. It's a protein pancake that I eat every single day and helps me stick to my nutrition without feeling like I'm dieting or anything like that. And I started giving it out for free to clients. And then one person heard about it through somebody else and asked me how much they owed me for giving them the package. And that was kind of like the turning point where I realized this could actually be a product and something that I can actually sell. So that's kind of where the idea came from. Yeah, I really like how this kind of built up organically for you where you just had a, your own your own itch to scratch, which, which I think is a a, um, a common, not common, necessarily common, but a, a definitely uh, well-trodden path where you have an, your own itch to scratch. You started building products for yourself and then you started just Putting out into the marketplace, you know, not 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 in the, with intention to start a business, but just to to help others out, and then all of a sudden a business is born. Um, so before we get a little bit more deeper into that, you mentioned something earlier, which I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast have talked about, which is that you got your start in the entrepreneurship world by starting with digital products. So you said you didn't like like it because there wasn't that that uh, you know personal touch to it. you couldn't really see your customer at the end of the day. Uh, but did, did you have any? Success going in that direction initially, like starting uh, your your creating and selling your own digital products. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually still do digital products. So I had like I still do women's fitness and meal planning and a lot of strength training stuff for women and have a product called FlatAbsForWomen.com, which is for taking women through like really an inside out journey through fitness, just twelve weeks. But it's more about you can't just take a diet or take some weight loss pill and think that that's going to fix you. Like it really focuses a lot more on the mentality, your mindset, like the law of attraction. It's a lot deeper than a typical workout program. But when I first got into it, I'm not sure if a lot of people listening or even yourself are familiar with some of the best digital marketers like Dan Kennedy, Mm -hmm. who even started the whole craziness. But The whole form with that type of philosophy is you do the long sales copy. So you do a lot of, you tell the story, you emotionally connect and engage with your reader or your potential customer, and then you kind of hit their pain points. So talking about like, I, I can understand how you feel depressed. This would be for the fitness industry and like just not liking what you see in the mirror and like a lot of stuff like that. And I didn't really connect with it because that's not my approach. Like my approach is not to emotionally connect with a customer and then manipulate that emotion into having them buy. So I got out of it just because I felt like so much of it was just numbers. And I mean, I got into business into what I do now because like I truly have a passion for helping people. And with those specific digital products at the time, it was just a lot of numbers and how many sales did you get today and have this affiliate mail out for you. And then hopefully you start funneling them through another sales program. Like it just completely not demoralized, but kind of took away that there's a person behind each one of those sales. So I had a lot of success with it and then decided that it no longer felt right for me. 
But once I started the pancakes, a lot of people started asking for recipes. They started asking if there was a meal plan that goes with this so they can learn how to put the pancakes with the rest of their day and what else they should eat. And from that, I've created different digital products that have done very well and continue to do well just because now there's a more of a purpose behind it other than just selling a bunch of stuff and making money off of it. Yeah, that, you know, I am from Dan Kennedy and that entire kind of copywriting world that you're talking about, it is kind of a, it, you've, you've seen, I've seen that too. It's, it's, a, it's an effective world, you know, once you kind of learn the kind of, to, like the, the trade, I guess, but it is a dark world, but it's also eye opening to see how, I, 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 I kind of lost the words too, but manipulative it can get where you are right. understanding the, the actual emotions of your customers and twisting and pouring salt into that wound until they're ready to you know buy your solution. And I think that that's definitely an approach that I've seen. And I can see how it, ha- it becomes dehumanizing, like you're saying, because you are no longer looking at them like, let me help this person. You kind of start approaching it as how can I extract the most profit? How can I extract the most revenue from right. this thing? over here so this whole numbers game style of entrepreneurship that that, I, that you know we were talking about how did you transition away from it was it an immediate kind of cutoff like I can't like you don't want to be in this world anymore so you just cut off the business and then start something else or did you transition out of it what was that process like so I didn't just cut it off I just stopped promoting it so I stopped the email broadcast I stopped the social media post and I mean I wasn't doing a ton of it because I was very new to it like it's just like every entrepreneur I had no idea what I was doing I was just figuring it out as I went so instead of pushing something that didn't feel right for me every time I push it I just kind of stopped and at this time I wasn't full-time into the online world so I still was working with individual training clients. I was still coaching women. Um, So I kind of just took it as like, all right, maybe this whole online world's not for me. I'm going to go back to doing my personal training sessions. But even then, I mean, I think it took like six months. I went back to the personal training and then it was like that itch, that pulling came back up of, nope, like there's something bigger I want to do. Not that that's not a huge thing. You're not helping a ton of people, but that same feeling that even got me into the online world came back up. And then that's when I kind of soul searched a little bit more of, okay, I know what I don't want to do. However, I'm trying to figure out what the next step is and what you can create in online businesses that fits all these other purposes behind helping people on nutrition and still making the revenue that I wanted to. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about this poll that you're talking about. And it's like, you know, people call it the muse, this 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 drive within a lot of entrepreneurs that they, even if they wanted to, they can't get away from the idea of owning their own business, starting their own business. Was it because you you had, you had you, your eyes are open to the world of not having to trade time for money? Like, what was it that that pulled you back into into the, the online world, e-commerce world in a way, not necessarily away from, but at least, you know, took up some of your attention away from what you were doing with the offline clients? Um, I honestly think that I was just not satisfied when I had this huge vision and this huge goal and idea and dream of helping thousands of people and waking up every day and helping maybe five people at a time just felt so like soul crushing. Like I keep thinking like I'm on stage, like helping millions, like, you know, you do vision boards, you do affirmations, you do like all these positive thought processes and then reality hits and you've got three clients for the day and that's all you affected. So part of it was like my reality was not reflecting this grand vision that I had in my mind really. And it's not so much that 
I knew anybody. I mean, in all honesty, I had no friends who were entrepreneurs. I wasn't dating anybody that was an entrepreneur. It was just something that I always knew I wanted to be able to have complete control over how much time I work or how little time I work. But I also knew like I wanted to help people on a massive scale and not just with one-on-one sessions all the time, which I still do one-on-one stuff here and there with like business consultations and whatnot, but it's different. It's more of, it feels more like planting a seed and helping them than help thousands of people as opposed to just one-on-one. So as far as like having my eyes open, I mean, my dad, he was an entrepreneur and gave us a very comfortable lifestyle, but it was never really, I guess, taught or really Old, like, hey, this is how you live in abundance and have happiness and have all the things you want. It was just kind of an expected way of life. And I guess seeing a little bit of that growing up really made me realize that so many options are available with living your dreams, which ha- having a lifestyle you want, having the freedom to travel whenever you want. And I think with anybody, once you get a little bit of taste of this other world or this idea that you think exists, it's very hard to go back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened is when I tried to go back to one-on-one personal training, but I already knew that it is possible to make money online. It's hard to go back to anything else when I knew that this whole other world existed. Yeah. Everything then starts to look like an opportunity. Once you start getting exposed to it, you start thinking about all the business opportunities that are possible when you have the ability to scale up and reach way more people online. So- Other than, you know, your, your father, you, you mentioned that you had no friends that were entrepreneurs. You weren't surrounded by other folks that were entrepreneurs. And I've heard I've this all the time, too. And it's a, very, uh, it's a very lonely journey, right, being an entrepreneur. You're the one that's, you know, saying you can't go out and party or you can't do this, you can't do that <laughs> because you're focused on growing your business. And no one else really understands that unless they, like, you, like you're saying, have your eyes open to that, to this other world. So how do you not let this wear on you over time? Like be on, be on this journey yourself. Maybe it's different for you today, but at the very beginning, how did you not make sure that you weren't being worn out by this lonely path? Oh my gosh. It's so interesting that you're asking this because I just read an article a couple days ago about how entrepreneurs struggle with being lonely sometimes because you do, you kind of create like this little island for Mm -hmm. yourself and you don't even realize it until you get a break to kind of look around and realize that it is just you. Um, I mean, I struggled with it a lot, probably six months into the business, just because I kind of, I mean, I went all in. I started the business, then I decided I wanted to move to California. And then I decided I was going to move out there by myself and didn't know anybody, didn't have any family and like trying to build this. But I think in the beginning, it's a little bit easier because you're so much in the startup grind and there's such like an endless task list for you to do that even the loneliness that you do feel from time to time, it's not as bad just because you have so much like that can easily occupy your mind. So like you mentioned, when ever you're sitting there on a Friday night and if you have a roommate or your friends or whoever all going out at 10 o'clock at night and all you're thinking about is, well, I could do two more hours of work and then I can get up at five or 6 a.m. the next day and get more work done. That is really hard because there's that whole feeling of missing out on being young or even like having a social life when everybody else is doing it, but nobody else understands. So every now and then um, that does come up now Living here in Tampa, like I have a ton of connections and family and friends because I'm from here, 
But there are days where I get so caught up working from home and something that I'm doing and then four hours will go by and I realize like, oh, wow, I haven't even stepped outside or talked to anybody today. Like maybe I should go step into the real world for a second. And usually if I get too caught up with it or I'm like really feeling just like isolated, I either go to the gym because there's always people at the gym and I'll just clear my head with a workout or talk to other people that are there. Um, I also listen to a ton of podcasts like this because it makes me feel connected. So even like I'm not on the phone with whoever you're interviewing or anybody else is interviewing, I still feel like I'm a part of that conversation. So that helps me a lot with feeling connected. Um, getting outside takes a ton of weight off of me. And then I try to stay really active in a lot of the Facebook groups that are online for entrepreneurs and just kind of reaching out, asking questions, and then hearing too, like even this conversation you and I are having, hearing that other entrepreneurs deal with the same thing, I think immediately helps you feel better about it because you realize not only are you going through it, but there's 5 million other people that also are building a business and feeling the exact same way. Yeah, I think it's an important topic that that has only recently come up about the mental health side of being an entrepreneur. It was never talked about previously because I think for a long time, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner was about the grind, right? Who can push through, who can sacrifice the most sleep, the most social oh, life, yeah. the most fun for the, the, pro- the building a business, for the profits. And it was always that focus. But then, you know, the, the mental health side was seen as a weakness, right? If you had, you felt lonely, you felt, you know, discouraged, you weren't cut out. Out to be an entrepreneur, and I, you know, I think that's right. just—it's it, it, called being human, right? Those feelings are going to become a part of your life, and you, you can't just ignore them. You should deal with them. And I think, um, you know, work starts to become comfortable, right? Because work is predictable. And I think uh, Casey Neistat says something about how the, the YouTuber and the entrepreneur says something about how work is will never betray you because you put in the work right. and you get something back in return. It doesn't have a mind of its own, like humans do, which sounds so kind of, uh, I guess, crazy to talk about. But, you know, I think, I think the point is that the loneliness, the loneliness, the mental health side is definitely an important aspect. And you really do have to get out there in the community, whether it means online or, or out in your own kind of community and try to connect with other people that are thinking like you, because it's hard to communicate how you feel and for other people to understand how you feel if they're not on this journey or not, or haven't been on this journey. So I think it's a, right. an important point. One of the things I was going to say um, is I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs have read this and I'm almost 100% positive you've read this, but the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. he even has an entire chapter dedicated to this feeling of, okay, now you've built this whole online business and you're living the life of your dreams. You can travel, do whatever you want, your e-commerce. So then why do you feel so alone and isolated and confused with life right now? And like, it makes me laugh because until you get to that chapter and until you go 100% online, it's true. Like your whole goal, you've worked so hard to build this e-commerce business. So you have your freedom and you have all the time that you want and whatnot. And then you get it and then you're like, oh crap, I didn't realize like how much of my community and social interaction came from work and being around other people. So he even talks about the importance of that and how the main thing we have to focus on as entrepreneurs, which I know we all get caught up in doing is any downtime or free time we have, we think, oh, well, I could be working on my business and I can do one more post or I could send out one more email. And it's such like a dangerous thing to do because then you start training your brain, you train your whole body, you train everything to just never stop and rest and enjoy the present moment, you end up always being like working towards some future goal. So that's been something I've been working on the last six months is 
just because I have an extra hour at night doesn't necessarily mean like I have to put in that extra hour of work. Like I created life around that and business. And I think it's important for other business owners too to use that time to actually go do something that's fulfilling outside of business so that you don't get so wrapped up in just you and your little island and always having to be moving towards your business goals, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it goes back to this feeling that you don't want to be lazy. You don't want to be the reason why it's, you're not going to be successful. But I think mm-hmm. we it's kind of a short-sighted view if we start to say, I'm going to sacrifice sleep, I'm going to sacrifice my downtime just for the business because recharging is an actual like legitimate thing that people have to go through, right? When you're not mm-hmm. spending time on your business, when you are doing nothing at all or maybe doing something completely outside your business, it can still benefit or actually it does benefit your business. It does benefit entrepreneurship because you have that time to recharge. You have that time to look at things from a different perspective and it all contributes to your business. You shouldn't feel lazy just because you aren't actively working on your business. I think that's like, a, I guess, a stigma that, that that needs to be, I think it needs to be broken by how you have to always hustle your face off because that's not, it's not, it's not only is it not an enjoyable life, but it could also be detrimental to running a business because you'll burn out. And again, you know, at the end of the day, I think, I think, you know, everyone that's been on this podcast realizes that it's a marathon and not a sprint. You know, you don't want to burn out. Yeah. Life gets so much easier as soon as you see it that way instead of like you have to hurry up and sprint to get to whatever end you're going to get to. And then you're like, oh, wait, that end may not come for 10, 50 years. Who knows? And you're like, okay, I can take a break. I can just let the process evolve. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about this is that uh, I think uh, I read somewhere about the key to like actually living a happy life is not about having goals and achieving the goals. Those things are important, but you also have to enjoy the process, the journey along right. the way, because that's 99% of the time. That 1% when you reach the finish line is such a small part. And you put so much, so much, uh, I guess, um, faith and hope in that, in that crossing the finish line that it's always kind of overhyped, right? Once you get there, you're like, well, I mean, was it worth all of that? If I hated the entire journey, it usually isn't. So I think, yeah, I think you just have to enjoy the process and don't burn yourself out. I think is the, is the key to all of this. So I want to get back to um, your kind of very beginnings, which is about, uh, you know, digital products. And then obviously you now sell physical products. So for, for aspiring entrepreneurs out there that are thinking about starting a business is there one type that you recommend over the other digital products versus physical products? What's What's been your experience? Yes. So I wish somebody would have told me this in the beginning because I didn't really have this mindset. I recommend physical products for a lot of reasons, specifically if you can come up with anything that's a consumable good, because what happens is every time somebody finishes whatever the food product is, they have to reorder. It's almost... It's almost like a guaranteed reorder. A lot of times whenever you're doing digital products in order to get another sale from that same customer, you have to create an entire new product. Mm. It's not like they're going to come back and buy the same ebook or the same e-course over and over again. They're going to wait until you produce something even better where the beautiful thing about the pancakes and with any other food or even like, I don't know, a toothbrush, whatever it may be, is as soon as they run out, hopefully you've built a good enough connection and relationship with your customer that they're going to come back to you over and over again. And that customer becomes lifetime. So I definitely recommend physical for that reason. The other thing is as well, I, I don't know why, maybe it's just like a goal or ambition that I had. I really enjoy like actually being able to hold and see something that I created Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a PDF or a video and seeing other people like random strangers who I don't even know are like on the street somewhere and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I know who you are. I ordered your pancakes the other day. They're on my kitchen counter. And it's like, 
that's amazing. That's like entrepreneur proud moments right there, as opposed to like, oh, I downloaded it and it's on my desktop in a PDF, you know, like both of them are awesome. It's just, I think there's more of like a sense of accomplishment when people have your product and your brand somewhere in their home. No, that's funny. I had a podcast, a previous podcast guest too. I guess the listeners will have heard it by the time uh, yours comes out. But they were t- talking about how they went to, they were based out in Seattle or, or I think, no, sorry, Portland at the time and were traveling to to Rome, to Italy, just to for on a vacation and saw somebody wearing their products. And it was such such a, an amazing moment for them because, you know, you see the reach that you have with your business. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so you know, what's, um, I guess what's different then about the skills that are involved with selling digital products versus physical products? Like, what are the most important skills you had to pick up once you made that transition to from digital to, to physical? Oh my gosh, I underestimated the difference in the work. So digital, I honestly feel like it's pretty simple because for the most part, you can outsource everything. So you can outsource the web development, the landing page. You can even outsource the copywriting if you want to. You really are just writing, you're creating the content and then you're selling that. And then you have no real overhead expenses other than maybe the checkout process of the 5% or whatever the percentage is that you have on digital products. Now, physical products, I don't think I ever appreciated how much work went into even like a tub of ice cream until I created a physical product. Because when you start to exist outside of the cyber world, Other than just creating like the imaging, the packaging, the branding, um, with mine specifically, the food, it's the formulation, it's the nutrition label, it's following all the regulations, the claims, everything that there's literally just the one package for one of the pancakes, like eight different businesses in that of people that I had to hire or use in order to create that branding where digital products, you know, you can hire somebody on Fiverr to create a graphic for you. So one of the skills that I definitely had to get used to doing is just being able to manage multiple different people. So like now I have my web guy and these aren't employees. These are just people that I have to use if a new product comes out or if I need I don't know, more product. Like these are just different clients that I have on hand or not clients, vendors, I should say, that help put together each package. So there's my web guy who's always making sure that Shopify is running smoothly, which it always does. And then we have like the fulfillment center, which takes care of the shipping and fulfilling orders. There's a customer service rep that helps take care of any questions like, hey, how many servings come in a bag? How many scoops? come in a bag, like all this crazy stuff. But then you have like the label makers, you have the printers, you, there's a whole other company that even supplies the bags, the little stand up pouches that it comes in. And there's somebody who supplies the scoops. Like there's so much that goes into it. And I don't think it's necessarily just because I have a food product. Like I have different rules that I have to follow just because it's a nutritional product. But just in general, I mean, safety stuff, like if you have something in a plastic bag, you got to put all kinds of safety hazards on it or whatnot. So you definitely have to get really, really good at being able to multitask and manage a lot of different little projects going on at once. Like, hey, do you like the pink color in your brand better or the other color? And at the same time, getting an email of, hey, you're 500 short in inventory, even though you paid for this and we accidentally shipped it to the wrong place. So you end up really managing the business is a good thing. And 
it's fun, but at the same time, there's a lot more overhead expenses that go into that as opposed to producing the digital PDFs. Mm, makes a lot of sense. So when you did get into the the physical products and you knew there was demand for it because your clients were talking about it, people were talking about it and wanted to buy, actually give you money for it, what was the first step into turning it into a business? Could you use any of the work that you already put in for the digital uh, products? Could you use any of that to help you, I guess, launch your physical products? No, um, unfortunately, that didn't really help me a whole lot with the pancakes. And being 100% honest, the thing that launched my business, and I tell everybody, don't hate on social media, because people make fun of social media. So I was like, don't hate on it. Like that grew my business is Instagram. So if you can scroll, it's a long ways down to the very first post I ever made on Instagram for the abs pancakes. It is like the worst copy I've ever seen. And I literally think I took a picture of the pancakes I made for myself for breakfast and said something like, hey, these pancakes have 26 grams of protein. Um, Let me know if you want some or something like that. And no, I think it's a Facebook store. I had a Facebook store on there and the URL to get to the Facebook store was like 130 characters (laughs) long. Like it wasn't even a store, but... I made that post just because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have a website yet. All I had was a Facebook shop and PayPal at the time. And I made a post on Instagram and used hashtags that I thought were related to it. And immediately like three or four people ended up sending me a message through that account just saying, hey, how do I order this? This link doesn't make sense to me. Can I just PayPal it to you? And I started the entire business making Instagram posts with hashtags and then doing manual PayPal invoices for every single order, as crazy as that is. So, I mean, in the very beginning, everything was, I sent out an email, they sent out their address and I hand mixed every single bag, labeled it, sealed it, put it in a USPS priority mailer and went to the post office every day. But a hundred percent, like even now, Instagram is one of the largest followings that I have for the business. And the same strategy works time and time again, just consistency, putting good content and good recipes out there and using the right hashtags. So you make it easy for your customer to find you. Yeah, I like that you aren't, you know, ashamed to have started that way because I think a lot of uh, people that are thinking about starting a business, thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, want to get it perfect right off the bat. They want to have a whole system set up, beautiful site set up, everything set up before even a dollar comes through the door. But you started much easier. Instagram account, anybody can set that up. It's all free for everybody. And then just started putting out content. So were were people, did you already have a following on Instagram? Were people, or, or people just discovering you strictly through these hashtags? No, I didn't have any following. I mean, I created the page from scratch and I didn't have a following on my own page. I think I had maybe a hundred people and they were all friends and family who followed my personal page. It was all through hashtags. And once I started to gain some traction, I even just wrote a whole article about this because somebody else asked me like, hey, I don't have an advertising budget, but I want to start a business. How do I get free traffic to my store? And like I outlined like this is exactly how I started the pancake business is the hashtags. And then I started reaching out to other influencers and I didn't know these people. Like these are perfect strangers and they would have, I don't know, 10, 20, 30,000 followers saying, Hey, my name is Ashley. I really like the stuff you put on your page. If I sent you a sample and I mean, this was like in a Ziploc bag, so it was nowhere near perfect. Would you mind if you like it, just make a post about it and tell them that it's called abs protein pancakes. And I think I got like a solid 
10 people because I was reaching out consistently. And the more these people were posting for me, like the fast, I mean, it grew so fast that like I couldn't manually do these orders anymore. And then eventually I started going to, I didn't actually have boosts at, because that's the other thing too, is a lot of people think you have to go to trade shows and spend $5,000 if you have a physical product and get your name out that way. And even now to this day, I don't do that. I don't, I've never done trade shows, but I would go and attend them and just connect with the other brands and ask them, Hey, you know, like we have similar niches. You're in the fitness and nutrition product, or even if it was like a coffee product, a food product, it doesn't matter. And just ask if I give you a sample of the pancakes, would you mind making a recipe for it? Or I'll do the work, you give me your product and I'll make the recipe and post it for us if you'll just reshare it. And brands love that. If you'll do cross promotions for them because it helps them out just as much. I think easily people could gain tons of followers, like a thousand a month if they just reached out to brands that aligned with their own brand and offered to do a little bit of work that gave value to them as well. So like this coming week, I don't know when this is going out, but Father's Day, we're doing a cross promotion with six pack bags. They're a huge, huge thing in the fitness industry. And it's great to be able to do it, but it also gives them something to offer to their customers. So if People focus on just Instagram. You make regular, consistent posts. So I always tell people do it two times a day. Think about when you're most relaxed and on your phone, which is usually right in the morning, you're eating breakfast or doing whatever you're doing and at night before you go to bed. So I always schedule out a post around 6 a.m. and then a post around like 7 or 8 p.m. at night because I know that's when people are most on their phone and do it every single day so people get used to seeing your content coming through then use the hashtags, reach out to some key influencers, and it's going to build your brand exponentially within six months. I mean, I did that starting August 1st, and I think the first month I had something like 5,000 sales or something just from Instagram. So no ads, no anything. I didn't even have a website or packaging or branding. That's all manual stuff just through social media. Wow, that, that's amazing. I want to definitely dig into this a little bit more. So you built this business just by choosing the right hashtags. And I want to talk to about a sec- in a second about how you discovered these, but then also collaborating with brands by, and you mentioned basically doing, bringing more to the table than just, you know, hey, can you take this product and try it out? So when you're collaborating with these brands, I think a lot of uh, other entrepreneurs out there might be intimidated by approaching a, a brand that's, you know, they have a thousand followers and these other brands have, you know, 10, 20, 30,000, like you're talking about. Were you ever intimidated or was it ever an issue that you had a smaller following than they did? I think I was a little intimidated starting out, but at the same time, I was reaching out to so many people that if I sent out five emails in a day and four of them told me that like, Hey, you only have 500 followers. I have 30,000. Why am I going to help you? And I had one that was like willing to help. I didn't care because at least one of them ended up working out. But more importantly, I made sure to actually like build a relationship with these people. Like I didn't just send them a random message, not even saying anything about them of just like, Hey, I have a product. You have a product. Like I think we should do a cross promotion because I get that stuff now and it drives me nuts. I always made sure I would send a message. I'd first offer to send them product of, hey, I really like your page. I love the content you're providing. It seems like we have a similar audience. 
would you mind if I sent you some product? I think you would really like it and then let me know how you feel about it. And nine times out of 10, obviously people want free product. I would send the product, I would follow up with them about two weeks later maybe, just saying, hey, like I hope you had a great weekend. How was your Monday starting out? By the way, how did you like the pancakes? If they loved them, I'd be like, that's awesome. Like, what do you think about doing like a cross promotion or something like that? Because I know a lot of my followers or customers would like it too. Most people, because you're being sincere and taking the time to follow up, ask about them and compliment them, won't have a problem with it. I never have a problem with it if people are actually taking the time to do that. But I think if you approach it very much of just like, hey, I don't know you, let's do a cross promotion and collaborate with brands, that's not ever going to work. It'll be very intimidating. Um, The other thing I would suggest too is if you know anybody who has a connection to a brand that might fit yours. So I did a lot of networking when I was first starting out, just sending out emails, being on social media. And like I said, going to like fitness shows, just seeing what brands were there and through just getting to know people and actually following up because like with our society and where everybody's in the digital space, Follow-up is so far and few between that if you even like meet somebody tomorrow and then actually follow up and send them an email or a text of like, hey, it was great meeting you. Like, I hope we can do business one day. They're going to remember you because nobody does that. So I just made sure to, and this goes back to the whole thing we talked about earlier with the business, that I was taking the time to get to know these people, build a relationship, compliment Mm -hmm. them on their success and their products and all the things they were doing. And then I approached them later asking if they would be interested. So if you do a cross promotion, make sure that there's something you have to offer them. So even if I had no followers, I would mention to them that if we did the cross promotion, I'll take care of the copy, I'll take care of the recipe, I'll build out the landing page, I'll do everything and I'll send it to you. All you have to do is post because then it's a no brainer for them and you're doing so much and giving so much value. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that this goes back to the, again, what we were saying earlier about how uh, it, there's so much of a focus these days on the numbers game. Like how can I scale this up as quickly as possible? How can I automate this? How can I outsource all of this? That if you do take the step to make it more personal and to follow up, you stand out from the crowd immediately. And maybe you aren't, you know, throwing the, I guess, throwing, or guess, taking a shotgun approach to trying to approach so many different people, you're still going to convert or get as many people to, to actually respond to you because you've taken the time to, to build the relationship like you're talking about. So I want to talk a little bit more about this, um, uh, the approach that you've taken where you are bringing more to the table. So you talked about creating the copy, creating a landing page. Are there any other ways that you, that worked well for you or that you suggest other entrepreneurs try out if they do have a much smaller audience, much smaller customer base, and they're trying to collaborate with someone much bigger than them? I would suggest doing a giveaway or one of the things that I've done previously too is if if you're able to give any type of samples or coupon or whatnot, um, offer to a brand that fits yours, say, hey, this is who I am. I really love your product. I've been following it or whatever compliments you want to give them and then offer it to them like, hey, I'm not looking for anything, but I just wanted to know if you would be interested if we gave your customers $5 off every purchase they had, would that help you? Because now, and I mean, it does because that brand is now able, able to offer a bonus or some other great thing with their customers in every purchase. But at the same time, I mean, I can't remember who talked about this. It was on another podcast I was listening to. But even if there's something they're not doing that you see in their business, I've used this approach as well of, hey, it's great to get to know you. 
by the way, I noticed you guys aren't using X, Y, Z. Like maybe you're not using this hashtag or maybe you're not using this approach and this skill. I think it could really benefit your business. I can talk to you about it. If you have five minutes, I would love to help you with this. And immediately if somebody sees it's like a legitimate suggestion of like, hey, I noticed you're not using the hashtag fitness and you're a personal trainer. Just FYI, I wanted to point that out and I hope it helps you. If you need more help with Instagram, I can help you with this. They're going to build a connection with you because you're not asking them for anything. You're just trying to offer help from there. Then somewhere along the lines, when you establish a relationship, you can approach them with, hey, by the way, would you be interested in doing a giveaway or a cross promotion or, hey, Father's Day is coming up. Our products go hand in hand. Why don't we offer value to both of our customers by doing a bundle package or whatnot? Because people are always looking for new things to bring to their brand. And even if you don't have a ton of followers, but you have a good product, you're a good business person, you're sincere in your relationships, they're going to want to do something together because it helps them out as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the other side of the, of this where uh, another reason why people are are hesitant to do this is because I think a lot of entrepreneurs think that everyone else has it all figured out already, that the, the, that your competitors or even the other business businesses out there already know all of these things. So why, why would I know something that they don't know? That why would I be able to teach them something? But I think it's important to know that if you're an entrepreneur and you've tried things out, and you've been in the game for even six months, you have something to teach and something to offer because you have this experience. And like we were saying way earlier, it's a lonely journey, lonely path already that there aren't a lot of people trying to help each other out. And if you you have that experience, you can definitely offer something of value back to them. And this is something that you should definitely use if you want to find ways to connect with these influencers and other brands. So I think when when you talked about this, I started thinking like, you know, why aren't more people doing this? I think that's a part of it too, is just not... Not that they don't want to take the time to do it, but they don't think that they have something to offer. And I think that's another kind of stigma that we have to kind of crush if you want to be you know, a successful entrepreneur and be able to network with these people. So I want to talk a little bit now about your... Um, I guess I want to, before we move on, I want to talk about the how to measure something like this. Like, do you measure your success with this kind of, I guess, influencer marketing, or is there a way to track how well it's doing for particular, you know, influencers that you're working with? Um, I mean, you can. Like, I've done it before, where I've done cross promotions with brands, and what we do is we have one of us set up a landing page. So if we're doing like a two-day giveaway, since it is coming up on Father's Day, if we did a two-day giveaway for Father's Day and we reposted it on all of our social media platforms and then had all of the entrants enter at my landing page, for example, we see how many opt-ins come in, how many emails we capture and whatnot. So I've done that a few times. And I mean, it's great for email capture. At the same time, it doesn't get as big of a social media response as just having people like tag or repost or whatever, reshare or make a creation and let us know or comment below. So I don't measure it a ton. However, because I've done so many of them over the last two years, I kind of know what is a great launch and a great cross promotion and what's kind of just okay. So like I've had some where... We do a two-day launch, and in two days, I have over 1,500 new followers. My sales may triple or quadruple, and now all of a sudden, I have this whole new audience that I can now give recipes and content and value and gain as customers, where I've also had others that maybe I only get 50 to 100 followers because it's a smaller brand. So, I mean, 
I think after you've done a few of them, you know how you can kind of track of what you normally would be getting on average. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that because, you know, there's, again, so much emphasis on the numbers, again, of the analytics, of the data and everything. And sometimes you know, that stuff is definitely, you cannot ignore that. But sometimes when you spend so much time trying to measure everything, you could potentially add friction to the, right. you know, the organic marketing that comes out of something like this. Like you're saying, you had to drop people to the landing page and then click this and click that. It just adds too many steps in, you know, people in general, not, not talking about customers, but just in general, people are lazy, right? And you don't want to mm-hmm. add too many steps to the process of them connecting with you. Um, so I want to, before, and I definitely don't want to let you off this podcast without talking about your Shark Tank experience. So let's talk about that. So what was that, uh, what was the process like? You know, how did you, let's start with, you know, how did you, how did you, I guess, get on the, the show itself? So Shark Tank, um, it's interesting because everybody has a different experience and I didn't know that there was different processes until literally the day of filming. So Back, I started the Abs Pancakes in August of 2014, and I'm all about like meditation, law of attraction, things like that. And I moved to California, and it was September. And I remember in one day, like people asked what I did. I told them I have this pancake business, and they were like, Hey, you should go on Shark Tank. You should apply to be on Shark Tank. And I kind of have just like this general rule of thumb for myself that if I hear something more than twice, especially in the same day, I feel like that's kind of life or the universe trying to be like, hey, you should pay attention and actually listen. So I remember I I told my boyfriend that I was like, hey, I don't, this way sound crazy, but I think I might apply to be on Shark Tank. I don't think anything's going to come of it. I'm just going to do it because what's the worst thing that could happen? I'm two months into my business. I don't have any money. Like I'm totally in startup grind. Like maybe I'll get a deal. And I applied, I sent everything in and I 100% just let it go. Not thinking anything would happen. And in March, so six months later, I was at a fitness event and I got a call from a random number in Los Angeles and it was one of the producers was just like, hey, we got your application. We're sorry for the delay. We really like your business, though, and would love to move you to the next round. And of course, like any entrepreneur, I'm freaking out like, oh, my God, I can't believe they even have my application. This is amazing. Um, and from that, like it is such a long, tedious process mm-hmm. that we got the first call in March and then from March all the way to that June was nothing but paperwork after paperwork. And I tell everybody, if you've ever bought a home and you know how much paperwork goes into that, times that by like 10 every single week of what they want from you, from your business, your entire life story. Yeah, it's insane. Like the amount of work. And then they'll tell you, like, you have 24 hours to get this back to us. So I don't know if they're just testing and weeding out, like who can't handle the pressure or what, but it was crazy. So in June, June 29th, Oh, almost a year ago. June 29th last year is when we actually did the filming. So it was almost a full year from applying to actually going on set and filming our episode. And then from June, we didn't actually air until this past January. So everything took almost a year and a half to do it. Um, As far as getting on... It was a really easy process for me. And maybe that was the whole back to the just listening to life thing because I got that call back. And from there, I had to send in a YouTube video like with a pitch and talking about the story that was the most unprofessional, worst YouTube video ever. And if I could find it, I would love to share it. But 
that was it. And then every week I'd get a call and they'd move it to the next round and then the next round and so on. So it's, it was definitely a long process, but obviously, I mean, it's worth it. Yeah. So just want to kind of recap like what the, the actual filming was like. So I hopefully have the right stats here. Uh, you originally came in asking for $120,000 for 40% of the company. Uh, one of what ended up happening? So I ended up getting a deal with Damon John, Mr. Fubu, who's actually, obviously he's, part of um, Shopify and their build a business thing. Um, And he offered 120,000 for 42%. However, with the actual filming, he, Mark Cuban, so everybody loved the pancakes and Mark Cuban went out, Lori went out, Kevin went out and all three of their reasons for going out was because they didn't really eat pancakes that much, which is crazy. Who doesn't eat pancakes? And then Damon was on the fence and then Damon went out. So all that was left was Robert and Robert offered 120,000 for 50%. And I was not ready to give up 50%. So I countered it and asked if he would do 45. He came back, said he would do 49. And I was like right on the verge, kind of in a stuck place because you want the deal, but you don't want to give up 49%. Mm -hmm. And last minute, Damon came back in and said, 42%, 120,000, you have to take the deal right now, no more negotiating. And like in a heartbeat, I took it. But I mean, what aired on television, I think only seven minutes of it aired. The actual pitch and negotiation was 45 minutes long. Yeah, I've heard that they they cut it down a lot. So it's just crazy to see, like, you must have been nervous for you to see this come on air, wondering what pieces they included out of the 45. That's something I've heard from other Shark Tank contestants is that you don't know what's going to come on this show until you actually watch with everybody else. Uh, So what kind of, um, so, you know, after this, this, uh, I guess, the show aired, I know there is a period of time where all the kind of dealing still needs to happen, all the due diligence needs to happen. Is that all closed out now for you or is that still ongoing? Yeah, no, that closed out, I mean, fairly quickly for me. So the deal closed, well, the airing closed June 29th, and then the the due diligence started immediately. And I believe that final terms and everything that we agreed on happened right at the new year. So, I mean, the process was five to six months for the due diligence. We were still in communication and like things were still moving forward for the business. It was just the legal contracts and everything took about six months or so to get it closed. Um, but yeah, so airing January 5th, I think the terms we closed on it January 3rd. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So how have you worked with uh, Damon since then? Like, what are you, like, what's the, I guess, arrangement with, uh, with somebody, with an investor like him? Um, so the actual details of the arrangement, I can't really disclose, but it is, it's a really interesting experience working with him because a lot of times, so he has a team, he has a different person for each section and that's, obviously how he does what he does. And usually any opportunity that comes to Damon that would be a good fit for the abs pancakes, um, or even if there's like some health and wellness thing coming up, somebody from his team reaches out, offers it to it. I mean, obviously you're not obligated to do anything. Um, and then they put in the terms what the agreement is. So like if they bring an opportunity and it's something that I'm really interested in and fits within the margins, they let you know like what percentage of that is going to go to the shark team and to Damon because they made that connection. So, I mean, a lot of people think you get a deal on shark tank, you walk off set and somebody writes you a check for 120,000 and now you have all this cash in the bank to do what you want with it. And that's not how it works. Like you definitely, fortunately, 
have the flexibility afterwards to kind of negotiate and get a little creative. So if you want, you can do like a portion of money to fund inventory and then just hold off and see if you really need that. Or sometimes I've heard that other sharks too, they won't even give any money to it. And instead they kind of help you get your business running to see if they really even need to be a part of it anyway. So, I mean, for me, it's been a huge blessing like next week. No, not next week. July 18th and 19th, we air on HSN with Damon. So he's flying down um, and we have a two day television spot to launch the product again. So it's been amazing. Like his team is awesome. It's great to be able to have them in the Rolodex to reach out to for anything that we need. And if they can help, then they do everything they can to help. That's awesome. It's like almost like you're all of a sudden have this tap into all these opportunities that normally what you wouldn't be able to come across unless you had an opportunity like this. Right. Uh, so were there any specific lessons that, you know, and I guess you, the relationship that you had with Damon hasn't been that long, but have there been any specific lessons or mentorship that he's offered you anything that you could share with, with, uh, with the listeners? Um, he hasn't really offered any specific like lessons or mentorship. I think one of the biggest things that he promotes, even like with his book, the power of broke. And I fully believe in this is he really just like encourages myself entrepreneurs, you know, get creative. Like just because you don't have a ton of money to start your business doesn't mean you can't build it into this huge empire. And that a lot of times, like with the power of broke, the power of broke and not having the money is almost more of a blessing mm-hmm. than a curse that a lot of people think because you're forced to do things that most people wouldn't even think of who had the money to throw into ad campaigns. I mean, think about it. if I had $100,000 to throw into like Google AdWords and whatnot to launch my business, I would have never even realized you can grow an entire business off Instagram with hashtags and cross promotions and whatnot. So I think that's the main lesson that he teaches, that he talks about. That's one of the main things like when we do business together and I'm in a situation where, hey, this is coming up, but I need this inventory. It's not like he just comes across as like, all right, well, here, let me write you a check. Like he's always like, come on, Ash, get creative. Like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. So, I mean, I think that's the whole beauty of being an entrepreneur. And the whole reason we get into business is because we want to create and create our life and create our businesses and products. So any entrepreneurs out there who are maybe really just bootstrapping it and don't have the money, see that more as like how you can leverage that instead of so much as like a block or an obstacle that's holding you back from building something. Because I mean, truly we're the only people who hold ourselves back from anything. So definitely tap into the creativity, think about ways you can get exposure and traffic and grow your brand without necessarily needing a ton of capital. Yeah, I think it's important to to remember that money is a tool at the end of the day. You know, it's useful when you need to scale up, but it needs to, needs to be applied to something that already works at a smaller scale, right? Get creative, figure out how it works, and then when you need to really scale it up, then you can use money as a tool. But it is not a requirement, you know, to start a business itself because there's just so many free ways to do it. You started your business with the 100% freeways too. So I think right. you know, one of the things that you mentioned that before, I want to talk about before we close this out um, in the pre-interview, you mentioned that uh, that you, you, you say that you should trust your intuition and entrepreneurship and always go with your gut and listen to your own instincts to help you guide, help you help you find your way in, in business. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Like how do you know, I guess, how do you... Uh, like what are, I mean, what are some examples of the times where you had to have trusted your intuition and guts uh, and you didn't have, I guess, the facts laid out in front of you to, to make the decision? 
Oh man. Um, so one specific example that comes to mind is when I was in California in September of 2014, by myself, no family, no friends. And it was just me building this business. And this was before the business was even proven successful. This was like, I was just praying and hoping that a sale came through that day. And when it did, I was so excited and I just kept moving. I had reached out to, oh, actually Craig Valentine, the person I said towards the beginning of this podcast, who does very well digital marketing as a mentor, because I needed to find a manufacturer, a co-packer, because I wasn't able to fill the orders. And I felt like that was holding me back from being able to really grow the business. And so there was like this forum for people in the online world. I don't think it exists anymore, but at the time I just posted in there, said, Hey, I'm doing this protein pancake thing. Um, is there anybody who knows a co-packer? And if so, like, please like, let me know immediately. And he responded and it was a long response about Ashley, don't do this. This is a huge mistake. You need to stay in the digital space. Like you can make so much more money in here. I'm letting you know as your mentor, this is a bad idea and you're going to regret it. And like, I remember like it just was like a stab straight to the heart of, oh my gosh, like my mentor is telling me don't do this. And I really started to doubt myself because up until that point, everything I was doing was totally off of like a gut feeling. Like I feel like this could be something big. And I was like, like I said, meditating and like really just soul searching and like that feeling of, you know, like people say, you just know, I remember having conversations with people of like, I just know this is going to be like a big deal and it's going to be successful, even though I wasn't hardly making any sales. And so when that happened, like I was totally discouraged. And I just remember like sitting back and stopping whatever I was doing for business that day and just sitting there thinking like, wow, like maybe he knows something I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe this really is a bad idea. And I'm just not seeing like all the warning signs. And I took like a whole day to myself to just kind of like, not only like to sulk in my self pity about how I just got like heartbroken about my dream, but to really figure it out, like what feels right for me. And I just got to this place. I remember I was writing or journaling or something. And I just decided like at that moment, I'm like, you know what? Like this isn't his life. This is my life. And this feels 100% right to me. And I have to go with that. And I mean, ever since then, like it's proven to be successful. And I always listen to my gut over everything. But I mean, I think that every entrepreneur knows, like even aside from business and entrepreneur, like in a relationship, in a job, in whatever it is, you always know, like if you're like, oh man, something doesn't feel right, or I really feel like I'm supposed to do this. So I really just always encourage people, don't ask everybody else what you should do. I mean, if you're like completely lost, like it might be a good idea just to get some direction. But there's this book that I've read three times in the last month called Inspired and Unstoppable. And she talks about how we all have this natural success journey within ourselves. And when we start the road to entrepreneurship, we trust it 100% because it's so strong. But somewhere along the way, we get stuck in these obstacles and we have a few setbacks. And then we start to doubt ourselves and we feel like, oh, maybe if I just get another business coach or maybe if I just buy another book or I go to some other seminar, maybe then that'll be it. And the whole thing is really just always coming back to that of like, all right, if I just get quiet, I shut out all of the noise outside of me and stop asking everybody else. And I just ask myself, like, ask these questions. What would be the best thing to do? You're always going to get an answer. It's just practicing, trusting that that'll help you move forward over and over. 
I love that. And I think that that's it's, um, a problem that, that a lot of entrepreneurs face, which is that we start to feel like we need guidance and we need permission to be successful, to be on the path that we want to be on. And I think it does hold people back, like you're saying. Sometimes we know inside the path that we want to take, the decisions that we want to make, but unless someone validates it, unless someone more successful validates it, unless a bunch of other entrepreneurs also agree with it, we don't want to take that step. And I'm not sure exactly why it is that way, but maybe it's something about how we now have something to lose once you start making progress and we, we get more afraid about making the decisions and having it be on us that, that causes the business to fail. And we always want to look for others to kind of, you know, give us the direction rather than trusting your own gut. But I think uh, what you're saying is right. You know, a lot of times you, there's no one else out there that's as intimate about your business, about your particular situation, about how you want to live your life, how you want to create your life than yourself. So, you know, why would you go out and put someone else's opinion above yours? You know, like you're saying, if you're completely lost, definitely take a look at what the options are, but don't feel like you need someone else to pick the option for you because there's no one else that's going to know it as good as, as, as well as, as you, you would yourself. So I think it's a, it's a great point that, uh, to put out there, especially at the end of this episode, because, you know, I think when people come on to this, onto the podcast and talk, I think it's important that the listeners out there listen to what options there are, but you still have to look at your own business from your own perspective, from your own point of view and make the decision yourself. Don't just copy, you know, what someone else has done because their situation is completely different. And, you know, they neither one can talk about all the things along the way that needs to also go right or go wrong for it to work for your particular situation. Right. So, you know, I think um, to, to close this out, you know, what are some, I guess, the goals that you have set for yourself? It sounds like, you know, this year is going to be a big one with the, uh, like you're saying, the uh, HSN and relaunching, or I guess uh, another big publicity push for for your for your business. And what else do you have planned for the remainder of this year? Um, you know, my goal, it's always been the same since the beginning. And like right after Shark Tank, everybody always asks like, well, what's the next move? And it's like, you know, mm-hmm. the next move, I can't really tell you. Like it kind of presents itself when it's ready. But the goal has always been the same is really to help as many people as possible. And now, fortunately, through these opportunities that come up is I'm able to really dig deeper and help a lot more people on a larger scale, not just nutritionally through the pancakes, but like with this podcast, like now I have a huge passion. I want to help other people create their businesses and do something that they're super passionate about and that makes a positive impact on our world. So my goal, I started doing some speaking gigs. I would love to get some more speaking engagements that really just talk more about the stuff you and I are talking about and really give people tools to help them with their business, not just motivate and encourage them, but like, hey, go to Instagram, check out the hashtags and whatnot. But then also to take more free time for vacation and not use my free time to work and Mm -hmm. really build the brand and the whole idea behind it of just people don't have to, one, eat diet food to be healthy, that you can enjoy your favorite foods like pancakes while sticking to nutrition, that you can have the life of your dreams and the business of your dreams, and that life really is up to you and to create whatever you want out of it. So, I mean, that's my whole mission. That's my whole goal with anything I end up doing with the business. And I'm just grateful for the opportunities that are allowing me to kind of leverage that. 
Awesome. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one thing I would do want to ask uh, that I hear uh, other entrepreneurs, other listeners ask me to ask other people that have been on Shark Tank was the results of being on television, on nationwide television. So this was launched, uh, this aired in January. So how much of an impact did it have on, on the business? Like how quickly did you did your store get shut down? Did you run out of products to sell? Like what was that like? Yeah, so the night that it aired, January 5th, the website crashed twice. So a lot of people don't think of this, and I didn't either until the Shark Team mentioned it to me, is it aired on the East Coast at 9 o'clock, but then you have to stay up monitoring your site for all the other time zones. So we had 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. It crashed for 20 minutes at 9 when it hit here in the East Coast, and then we got it back up. And then it crashed again at Midnight? Yeah, midnight for 45 minutes when it hit the West Coast. Um, The night that it aired, I think from 9 o'clock to 9.05, because our episode was the first one for the season, it went from like 100 visitors at 9 to 35,000 visitors at 9.05, and it completely just shut the site down. So, I mean, it's a great thing to happen, but at the same time, it's a really scary thing to happen. Um, but through that, that month in January, we hit our entire last years of sales in just that one month from airing. So, I mean, it started the new year off as perfectly as any entrepreneur would wish to already like surpass what you did the year before in two, three weeks or so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been amazing. And I mean, it's interesting because talking to other Shark Tank entrepreneurs from that is there's a little bit of like what people call the postpartum Shark Tank because you have this huge launch that happens and then it'll last for maybe, I mean, you get like a little bit of like a tailwind for about six weeks and then it's like, it immediately just stops. It'll stop. Sales will stop completely for like a solid month. And it's really weird. But it's almost like if somebody finds out some amazing news and then it's on the news on CNN and it's on ABC and it's on all these places. And then after a few weeks, you don't really hear about it again. That's kind of what happens with your business. But then fortunately, that gives you time to kind of like recoup and get reset for everything. And then we've had other launches that came up after that. So we launched with Zulily. Two or three weeks ago, we're launching, like I said, with HSN. We're launching with shop.com. We have a lot of different opportunities that have come up from it. So since the airing, I mean, sales have been amazing. The traffic's been amazing. And it's really changed the business even more quicker than I could have imagined. So... Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely a great, uh, you know, a, a good problem to have, I guess, you know, having that kind of uh, <laughs> uh, such a big um, traffic rush that the store shuts down and you've been able to generate so many, so much sales uh, just within the first month of the year. Um, so, you know, thanks so much for coming on, Ashley. So abspancakes.com, A-B-S-P-A-N-C-A-K-E-S.com is the website, is the store where you can check out her products. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out, they want to follow along with what you're up to? Um, they can check out the Instagram pages, the, some of the stuff I talked about as far as crop cross promotions and hashtags and whatnot for the pancakes page. It's just at ABS and then underscore protein pancakes. So you'll see, you'll be able to see a lot of the strategies that I was talking about. And then all this stuff that we're talking about as well, I have on my website at ashleydrummonds.com to hopefully help other entrepreneurs with some of these things too. So yeah, come find me on all that. I'd love to connect. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ashley. Thank you, Felix. 
Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.